Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 174 of Yogaland. Today, I have Jason here again, my honey, my honey. I'm in a really <laughs> weird mood. <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, we were just sort of against our own will singing Ariana Grande together, so kind you can't of. blame me. Yeah, that's true. It's just sort of drummed into our head because our daughter I, discovered her somehow. You know what's weird? This is something like I know I shouldn't take personally, but I feel like this. Obviously, I love my daughter unconditionally, and she's the greatest kid ever and of all time. Mm-hmm. I also think she's really funny, and she has like great style and like all sorts of personality traits. Yeah, that I think are amazing. But there's a I, but at the end. Of yeah, this? there is a but. Okay, which is her musical taste is really off. She's a little girl. I know, but I just this little girl musical taste. I know, and as I've said to you before. We're not going to talk about your musical taste, okay? <laughs> because We're it's just not perfect. even going to go there. Okay, so just a quick reminder to everyone that Jason's 2020 schedule is up and ready to go and yeah. on our website. You can view it at jasonyoga.com slash schedule and just see all the different places you're going. I won't go there because I don't like to look and see all the different places <laughs> yeah. you're going to. But You're going to a bunch of them with me this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, you, speaking of doing stuff, mm-hmm. how is the self-care program going? It's going great. So we're recording this while I'm still doing some registrations, but it's thriving. You know, it's yeah. been a really kind of, I'm glad I made the decision the second time I ran it last year to invite the people from the first group to join. Cause now I've got like two cohorts that are joining these new people and they have such great energy. And I've kind of come to a new place too in my goal of teaching all of this stuff. And I haven't even really talked about it with you, but it's really just a mindset issue. But for me, it's been really huge, which is that my goal is to help people realize or just feel that meditation is just a really natural, normal part of their life or that it can be. Yeah. Because I think it can just be so intimidating. I mean, it, it was for me at first and, and it can also be presented as such an austere practice that it can feel kind of like, well, I'm not this enough to like sit and be still. And my mind races, like I can't stop my thoughts and all of those things. And it's like, That's not the point. Yeah, it's actually just to develop the awareness of who we are. And just it's it's really like can be a very sweet and nurturing self-discovery process if you have that support from someone. And I had that support in Sally Kempton and and going up to Spirit Rock for all the years that I did and super grateful for it. So I'm trying to just normalize it. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. I see how much time and care and effort you put into it. So people are in good hands with you. Yeah, thanks. And you know, one of the times people need self-care? When? When they realize what a remarkably bad class they've just taught or are currently teaching. Yes, it's true. Yes, it happens to all of us. And that's the topic today. The topic is how to survive teaching a super- Yucky class. Yeah. One that you perceive as 
a bad class? I think that's the first thing to actually identify, which is there is some distance between the experience of the teacher teaching the class and the experience of the student taking the class. Mm -hmm. And how I feel about a class is not necessarily how my students feel when they're taking that class. And there's a really important factor that's easy to overlook when you're teaching a yoga class, which is people are doing yoga. They're not necessarily hanging on your every word. They're not necessarily picking up or intuiting all of your subtleties. They are paying attention to what's happening in their body, their mind, and the heart when they're doing the practice. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly when you are teaching a class and you are feeling in the groove and it's, you know, things are flowing well, it's likely to be going well for the students. But all of us need to remember that the experience of the teacher teaching the class and the experience of the student practicing yoga, they're not necessarily the same thing, mm -hmm. you know? I think another big thing that comes up for me is just, we always have to remember a couple of things. One, when you're teaching a yoga class, I say this all the time, it's live. There's no delete button, know. you know? Yeah. You can't edit it. Mm -hmm. You can't stop. You can't really go backwards. And trying to do so, like apologizing for an error or getting caught up in an error, those are the kind of things that you just have to let roll off your back, mm -hmm. you know? So realizing this as a yoga teacher, you just have to acknowledge you're going to make a lot of mistakes in a 90-minute increment or a 60-minute increment. Like, it's just going to happen. You don't want to think about those errors that you're making as a yoga teacher in any given class as really that substantial in the overall experience of your student's practice, mm -hmm. you know? Do you have an example that comes to mind of when you had, you were really crushed by the feeling of having taught, quote unquote, a bad class? Well, I think what would be helpful to do, right? So first we have to acknowledge, look, we, we all feel, all teachers feel this way from time to time. Mm -hmm. So I think what we want to kind of separate is feeling when you are currently teaching the class, like you're just not in sync. Mm -hmm. And feeling like when that class was over, oh my God, that was the worst, mm -hmm. you know? And let's start, let me talk a little bit about the feeling in the class of it's just not going well, right? I will tell you that the first thing that we have to consider is as a yoga teacher, you're human and your job is like other people's jobs when they're giving a presentation, you're going to be hypersensitive. You're going to be hyper alert. You need to be hyper focused. And sometimes, some days, you just don't have it. So, as a yoga teacher, like I just know, I know five minutes into class, kind of internally what my inner landscape is and whether or not I'm really dropped in and focused and in the flow, or whether or not today is going to be a long day. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I get that feeling within myself and I would say, you know, I teach a lot of classes. I would say eight or nine times out of 10 while I'm teaching the class, I'm well dropped into that class. I'm feeling good. I'm enjoying myself. Doesn't mean that there aren't some challenges, but I'm in no way uncomfortable internally, but at least one or two classes out of every 10, it's a long 90 minutes. Hmm. You know, I'm just not, 
my mind isn't processing very clearly. I don't feel like I'm that articulate. Sometimes I'm just, I'm saying things and like literally the wrong words are coming out. I'm mm. just flubbing over my words. Mm-hmm. My mind and my mouth, they're just not in sync uh-huh. with each other, you know? Sometimes too, a feeling that I'll have is like my cadence of teaching is not the cadence that the class is moving. You know that the class is moving faster, the class is moving slower. Like like my mind isn't clear and I'm not able to sync up, kind of harmonize with the experience of the student. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like having an awkward conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. You know what I mean? Where there's yeah. just where it's there just isn't that much back and forth or you feel out of sync. Mm-hmm. So I want listeners to know that is my inner experience. That might not be the experience of the student, but that is my inner experience, at least one out of 10 classes. Hmm. It's not that I'm not there. It's that I'm pushing the boulder uphill mm-hmm. pretty much the entire class, at least the first half of that class. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that that's just something you have to normalize. That That's kind of my first tip is you just have to normalize that phenomenon And my biggest tip around that is try not to overcompensate. So a lot of times when I don't feel in sync, I talk even more. Mm -hmm. When I feel like I'm not landing, I push it even harder. Mm -hmm. I feel inarticulate and then therefore on the inside, I try to prove to myself that I am articulate Mm -hmm. and I get even more complicated. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do now, and this is just, only through experiences, if my mind isn't that clear and I'm not in the flow, I just trust yoga. I just trust that I can be a little bit more quiet. I can be a little bit more simple. I can be a little bit more basic. I can give a little bit more space between my words. And I can just let the experience of people practicing yoga be the driver Mm -hmm. instead of me feeling like I have to force some sort of outcome, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I want to address one thing, which is you talked about the cadence issue, just feeling like your cadence isn't matching up with what you sense is coming from the students. And I think there's no place that that happens more than when you're subbing. For sure. Oh, my gosh. Like my subbing experiences, for the most part, were my worst teaching experiences because you go into a room where they expect their teacher, they're disappointed, they, you know, to begin with often. And no matter what you do, you're just not going to match up exactly with that teacher. I mean, I think that you pick your subs really well and I'm sure people have gotten better at it. But I mean, I to- I've told you, I subbed for Tony Briggs once. Like it was, I'm not an Iyengar yoga teacher. No. Like it was, they were looking at me as I was doing vinyasa flow. Like I was insane. So I just want to address, like, I think that is one of the most difficult situations. And also I want to ask it sounds like for you, your tendency is to over talk, right? Yes. If, if, yeah. What about people who just get overwhelmed and draw a blank? What would you recommend for those people? I actually feel like getting overwhelmed and drawing a blank is less of a problem. Really? Yeah. And the reason that that is, is it's very rare. I mean, I'm sure it's happened in the history of yoga, right? But I think it's probably pretty rare that students have the experience of saying to themselves, I wish this yoga teacher would talk more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so many people are coming to class because they want to move, they want to breathe, and they want to have an internal experience. So no, of course, freezing up is not a great thing. But saying less, I think, 
is less of a problem than compensating by saying too much. Mm. You know, I think that stepping on your own words and adding to the discomfort, there's an irony of not feeling in the flow and adding to that flow. Mm -hmm. If you're not feeling in the flow, subtract a little bit from that flow, step back a little bit and just allow yourself. I mean, I already said it, but allow yourself as a teacher to trust that the student's experience of practicing yoga is really powerful. Mm -hmm. Like that's the single most important thing in the room. So you have some internal space to back up and let students just do their practice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think another thing that comes up for me is there's just an internally awkward feeling about being in relationship with a group, talking to a group, relating to a group, being in some ways in charge to lead that group and to feel a sense of disconnect. But sometimes as a teacher, you're just not going to feel that connected. You're not going to feel that connected, like I said a moment ago, to your own monologue. But sometimes you're just going to literally have a difficult time relating to a group audience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you, you know, for me, I say this all the time, but I am an introvert, but I have an extrovert gene. So I have the ability to be extroverted when I teach most of the time. But sometimes it's not just that I don't feel in sync with myself and therefore I'm kind of tripping over what I want to do and teach, but sometimes I just can't really relate that well to the people around me, you know, and that doesn't make you a bad teacher. It just, you know, sometimes you're not in an internally or an emotionally ideal place to be able to connect to the people around you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another one of these moments where on the inside, it can feel really painful, really awkward. Like, oh my God, I'm not connecting. I'm not relating. What are they thinking of this? They're having a bad time. That's when you want to rely on yoga. You want to step back. You want to let people just be in their body and breathe. Mm -hmm. and, to, and it's such a yoga cliche, but literally to hold the space, you know, and to trust that when people are doing their yoga practice, even if you feel a little bit disconnected from them, that they're in a good place. Mm -hmm. I mean, what you're talking about, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, let's say, like you're grieving the loss of someone or something. I would imagine it, it's just incredibly difficult to show up in moments like that. And what I hear you saying is akin to saying, don't worry, it's it doesn't have to be about you. The class doesn't have to be about you. You don't have to hold up that amount of energy in the class. Yeah, yeah. The yoga can hold up that yeah, energy. Absolutely. I think related to this, right, it's going to depend a little bit on your teaching personality. Like for me, my teaching personality is I really want to teach people things. I like technique. I like philosophy. I like I like when my students understand the sequencing structure and what I'm teaching and why I'm teaching it. But that requires a lot of clarity and a lot of communication. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm struggling on the inside, I feel like I get that much more frustrated because I got 90 minutes and I got an agenda, you know? But for me with that teaching personality type, I have to be willing to kind of step back and not put so much stress on myself in that moment. I think if you are a yoga teacher that has a little bit 
I don't want to say I'm not organic, but if you're a yoga teacher that is even more organic and it's really just about the experience and the movement and the presence, and you don't necessarily have like a data sheet of what you're trying to communicate on that day, it might be a little bit less stressful to just kind of step back. But I think that these are really key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think another key thing that has helped me in addition to just kind of recognizing, hey, I'm not exactly in the flow. I'm stumbling over things. I got to understand how I compensate for this difficulty, which is to talk more and push harder and do the opposite. But another big component for me is doing something that gets me in my body. When I teach, I don't practice, but I don't practice with the group, right? And we've talked about it a bunch, but I don't really do many manual adjustments, But this might be a situation where you do a sun salutation with them, or you do a long down dog with them, or you do a standing pose with them, right? You can do something that re-anchors your focus, especially if you're getting anxious about the challenge you perceive, right? Because it's one thing to, to feel awkward when you're teaching or like you're bombing or you're missing But almost always you will pile onto that by producing anxiety around it. So it's one thing to feel bad about the situation, but then you have anxiety about how bad it feels like it's going. So you need to make sure to de-escalate yourself. And for most of us that are yoga practitioners, a way to de-escalate ourselves is to get into the body, right? I think another way, and again, I don't use it as much, but to be in physical contact with your students. Like sometimes when I'm just in my head and I can't get out of it and I'm getting a little bit stressed, some down dog adjustments. Mm -hmm. Well, it probably helps you focus on who is in front of you. Exactly. Like it makes you more present. Exactly. Like those things to anchor you into the present moment and to connect and to step back and to de-escalate a little bit on the inside. Mm -hmm. This might be kind of a difficult question, but is there anything... I was just thinking about how Kelly McGonigal talks about, because I use a lot of her work in my my course. She talks a lot about stress as a growth opportunity that after a stressful event, it's really helpful to write a letter to yourself or to whomever, and you, not a letter that you would send, but write a letter. Just I blast off a nasty tweet. Describing. <laughs> That was good. During Shavasana. That was really good. That was really good. But yeah, writing a letter describing the incident and um, just talking about how it helped you grow or change in some way or change the way you do things or what you learned from it. So do you ever think like, is there any way to objectively judge the experience and try to grow from it? Well, I think that's why that's kind of what I'm trying to communicate, which is objectively, this is part of the job. You know what I mean? It's like you can be the best quarterback on the planet and you're going to have an off day and you only have 16, you only have 16 games a season. You're going to have an off day. So I think that that's a big component of it, which is just to realize that it's happening in the moment and that you don't have to compound the difficulty by getting into a downward spiral and just say, you know what? I'm a little off today. I need to step back. I need to do a little bit less. I need to trust yoga. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for me over the years, I don't feel like, I mean, this should be the case for everyone, but like 
deep down, I know that when I feel like I am teaching a bad class, it isn't a bad class. I'm just not in the flow. And so I think that having that process of learning to identify your discomfort and then decrease your likelihood to escalate it and make it even worse than it currently is, Mm -hmm. I think is a really huge Mm -hmm. growth. I think I'm going to be more specific and I think I know what your answer is going to be, but it'll be helpful for people to hear anyway. Would I write myself a letter? No, I'm not going to ask you that because I know I can tell by the little smirk on your face that you wouldn't. But I'm going to make you write one tonight. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to have to write a letter to you. <laughs> yeah. No, the question is, what about, I think that one thing that can really come up for people that can make them feel like they're teaching a bad class is the challenge of teaching an all levels class, right? Which oh, is God. if you're teaching a class of like people who want to come in and like, work their butts off and you pause for one minute to show them something and they start rolling their eyes or just like standing with their arms crossed or and that is a similar thing that used to happen to me with all levels classes is I would be teaching them like the nuances of handstand and someone one woman would be in the corner like kicking up and that person who would be kicking up would be kicking up wildly and not employing any of the technique that I was teaching right which just always felt like a disconnect yeah so how do you process things like that? And not just in terms of your own emotional process, but in terms of of managing an experience of the class with so many different needs and so many different levels and so many different personalities. So here's a big thing that comes up for me, which is I've been talking quite a bit about your inner feeling of I'm not connecting, I'm not in rhythm, I'm not clear. And the anxiety that we pile onto that. But one of the triggers for that is perceiving students' disengagement or disinterest. So it's not just that you are feeling, oh my God, I'm out of sync. You are perceiving that other people are out of sync with you, Mm -hmm. right? So I want everyone to hear this loud and clear. People leave my class at least once a week. Wow, really? Yeah. Now, granted, there's a lot of people in class. You must be a terrible Awful. teacher. Awful. <laughs> Dude, I would leave that class. It's a hot room and there's a hundred people. I'd leave, I wouldn't even show up. So I still struggle with it when I perceive that someone isn't engaging. But what's different now is I don't assume that it is a bad class. I assume it is not an appropriate fit. Mm. Right. So when someone leaves early, I assume that they wanted to listen to a playlist and they're just not vibing with what's going on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's a bad class. Mm -hmm. It means they wanted black and they're getting white Mm -hmm. or that just means you're a bad person. I'm a bad person and no one loves me. (laughs) No, I just assume it's a bad fit. Mm -hmm. Like, I just assume it's a bad fit Mm -hmm. because, okay, I am a much more specific and specialized instructor than I have always been than I have ever been. And that is a very good thing for people that like that level of specialization, right? But anytime you are a little bit more niche-oriented, people that don't fit into that niche, they're not going to resonate with it. Right. You know? So the more more you, quote-unquote, find your voice, the more people that resonate with that voice are going to find you and appreciate it. 
But the more specific of a voice you have, the more you're inherently going to exclude some people that that's just not their thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I mean, I would be lying if I said it didn't bother me or upset me or if someone walks out of the room. I can think of last night I was teaching someone like in the middle of salutation just got up and walked out. And I thought, oh, I hope they're just going to the bathroom. Yeah. And they were. Or oh. I mean, I don't know what they were doing, but they were back in like five minutes. Oh, okay. So, you know, we are social creatures. We're always going to pick up on that. But if that person hadn't come back, I would be much better, much more quickly inside at realizing something was happening in their life that was out of my control and it just wasn't a proper fit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's really that's really what I think it is. If I am having a class where I am feeling out of sync and someone leaves, that's more likely to be something where I'm going to compound that difficulty Mm -hmm. and be like, oh my God, woe is me, you know, so forth and so on. Also, I'll say this, which is it's way easier to lose students than gain students. Like you think about like restaurants, right? How many times you go to a restaurant, you really love it, then you go back and you have one bad experience at that restaurant, you're not going back. Mm-hmm, that's true. That's you know, true. and it's this, you're I will say the same, you're not going back. And it's this, it is actually the same thing as I want, you know what I want to tell everyone out there? Your students aren't judging you. Of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, they are. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, of course they are. But... <laughs> They're usually pretty forgiving. And if your student resonates with your pace and your style and your personality and how they feel after class, they're going to forgive all the little mistakes and all the little kind of small things. But you aren't going to be the teacher for everyone. And sometimes people are going to feel, figure that out like 27 minutes into that class. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You know? So I only had one person memorably leave my class. And it was when I, I had a regular class. I can't even remember the name of the studio. It was really tiny. It had just opened. So I just had about three or four regular students. It was perfect for me. And then one day I suddenly had like 10 students show up. And about 10 minutes into class, a woman got up, rolled up her mat and left. And when there's only 10 students, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. So I remember I was talking to a friend about it. I was talking to Miranda about it. And do you remember what she said to me? I think I told you this before. She said, well, just imagine she had diarrhea and she had to leave. (laughs) (laughs) it really helped yeah there you go (laughs) i've never forgotten that there you go on that note that would be a lot of foodborne illnesses in the city of san francisco on tuesday wednesday and thursday (laughs) i'm gonna go to el cerrito to eat from now on I want to share, this is such a non sequitur, but I can't stop thinking about it during the recording of this episode for some reason. And that is when we were in Ohio uh, over our little holiday break, your mom on our last night there, which was was interesting timing considering we were there for two weeks, brought out a whole bunch of crates and boxes and of memorabilia from your childhood. Sophia, for the first time ever, saw um, Throwing Stars, which was yes. pretty exciting. Oh, did we bring those back? I thought you did, but maybe you forgot them. Arm this household. But I really want to tell the story of the boy, he must have been your best friend at the time, who wrote a whole story about your life as a grown-up. Uh-huh. 
And the first two thirds of the story were so eerily accurate, right? Didn't you, you moved to a big city. Yeah. You played hockey, ice hockey for some team that you really liked as a kid. Yeah. Which, what team was it? The Islanders. Okay. Which I didn't do that in my real life. I mean, I know, but just in terms of him capturing you, you had a golden retriever. Yeah. And then you got married to a wonderful lady and you had a child named. Like Brian Steve. or something. Steve. <laughs> That is a real non sequitur, my God. I just keep looking at you and thinking about your child named Steve. Can we talk about after class? Oh. How to deal with it? Sure. I thought we were done. No. Okay. There's two phases, right? There's getting through. The, there's not that much to talk about. Okay. But there's that first process of like, how the hell am I going to survive another 45 minutes of feeling like this? Uh-huh. Right? And that's what we've mostly talked about. Now, class is over. And I got to say this. I'm willing to bet pretty much every yoga teacher out there has this feeling. You have feel like you have just taught the worst class ever. And what happens? Oh, someone comes up and tells you it was the best class they've it's ever the taken. The best class they've ever taken. So strange. And my first thought is like, what's wrong with this person? I know, it's very You odd. know what's so interesting, right? It's like, we, sometimes when people compliment my class like that, I'll be like, okay, they're just being a nice person or they have terrible taste in yoga because that was brutal. But again, that just goes to the point that your experience of the class as a teacher and the student's experience is different. And you can't overly insert yourself into what you think people are experiencing. I think the second thing is what also goes with that is Sometimes if you think you're teaching the greatest class on earth, no one even, everyone rolls up their yoga mat. You don't even get like a casual thanks or a goodbye, right? So knowing that the student's experience is different than yours and you just have to be a leader and get through as well as you can while self-regulating is really important. When you leave class and you feel like that was rough, I only have one thing to say, which is get over it fast. Get over it really fast. I guarantee your students are over it already. I guarantee your students are glad they went to yoga. Guaranteed your students feel better. And I guarantee that the next time you teach a class, you don't have to hold on to whatever was difficult about that first one. You just acknowledge it's a difficult experience, take a breath, and move on with it. It's part of the territory. Everyone has bad days. I think sometimes in yoga, the word competition is talked about so negatively. For me as someone that competes in things and that grew up playing competitive sports, competition is so important because in competition, you learn how to lose. Hmm. You know, you learn how to lose. You learn how to move on. You learn how to like, every single time you lose, brush it off and show up again. So competition isn't about only winning because no one only wins, you know, and failing to involve yourself in some competitive process, then you insulate yourself from the difficulty of having a bad day and moving on from it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about it not to get too sportsy, but I think about it when it comes to baseball, 162 games a year on a losing team. Oh, that'd be so Dude, hard. Dude, come on. But you know what? Show up. You don't even get a day off. You show up, you get on our plane, you show up. And do you want to be there and are you enjoying yourself? I don't know. But do you make it happen? Yes. Hmm. 
you know, are you much better paid than all yoga teachers? Yeah, but the not point if is, you're not in the not if you're in the yeah, that's leagues. true. If you're in the minor leagues, it's yeah for you get sure paid terribly. That to me is like it, a hugely important element of being a well-regulated person and a good leader in all situations is to know and you are not always going to get your way and it's not always going to feel good. And we we do kind of live in this very social media focused world where everything has this like really pretty tidy bow on it or often it does. And that's just not how your life is going to look. It's not how your yoga class is going to look. So you got to move on. And if there is anything specific that you can learn, like, yeah, I don't think this is a really good class because I didn't plan well, or I wasn't focused or, or I stopped too many times to demonstrate. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. If there are, if there are, tactical things that you can learn and grow from, learn and grow from. I'll give you one example before we're done, which is I taught at a yoga studio years ago where there were not many people, but there was a lot of wall space and the people that came were extremely consistent. And it was a more of an Iyengar based vinyasa class, meaning we did a lot of breakdowns and a lot of technique. And that kind of teaching worked really well for me at that time and place. Then when I changed studios and there were all of a sudden a lot more people and a lot less wall space, I still hadn't adapted to the new environment. And so I was trying to figure out ways I was getting people to do partnering and handstand and breaking down and doing like all of these technical breakdowns and pauses and it didn't work in that environment. I had to realize like, oh, I have to adapt my teaching style and focus to this different environment. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out ways to stand behind what I wanted to teach and teach the way I wanted to teach, but in a context that's more relevant to what that new location and demand was. So that is an example where I had a difficult learning curve And I felt for months like, oh my God, these classes are terrible. They were. I mean, they they weren't terrible, but they weren't. Well, there was something that wasn't gelling. Yeah, it wasn't gelling. So I was the, so I had to figure out a different way to do that thing in that environment. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. You know, and that's that. Sometimes those things that don't feel right, try not to take it too personally, try to be objective and say, okay, if I can learn and make some sort of minor alteration and improvement, Good. Right. It's time to do that. It's a situation where being dispassionate is helpful. Yeah. I think towards that end, just we should be getting better at our jobs. Not to put like an inordinate amount of pressure on ourselves, but one of the ways you get better at arm balances is you do arm balances that you're not already good at and you learn and you grow. It's the same thing when you learn that there's going to be some times that you struggle teaching yoga, pause, take a moment and See, is there anything that you can learn from it? Or are you just being a little bit neurotic and uptight and you have too much negative self-talk? All of those things are things to work with. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 174. And I will link to a blog post that Jason has written that relates to this episode. And if you enjoy the podcast, it's always so appreciated when you share it or when you submit 
a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week, enjoy your practice.